baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Welcoming in the Director of External Affairs at the Manhattan Institute, Jesse Arm. Jesse, good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. You know, so much focus on the uh, 2024 primaries and the upcoming uh, election. But let's start with uh, the 2024 primaries. In the first three states uh, is your um, piece, What Do Republicans Want? Survey analysis on the political and policy preferences of GOP voters in the first three states, Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina. So, Jesse, as we look now, I mean, Donald Trump has the lead in all three states. Yeah, that's that's true. So consistent with other polling, our data does show that the 2024 nomination is Trump's to lose. Um, the former president's lead notwithstanding, a sizable chunk of the electorate remains open to changing their mind. The consensus second place pick among Republican primary voters is Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who holds actually higher net favorability ratings among Republicans, even than Donald Trump. So an early lead should not be necessarily be mistaken for an insurmountable one, but uh, Donald Trump is in is in the lead for at this point. You know, in all I, three states. I think back to 2015, which I know. I mean, that seems like it was you know an eternity ago. Uh, but Jeb Bush had the lead. Uh, you know, this long before the uh, the primary. Ron DeSantis, though. I mean, this is a guy that you know everyone was focused on him. Uh, you know, starting his campaign, announcing his campaign. But if I'm reading this right, he's done nothing but drop in the polls. Correct. I think that's more or less right um, thus far, but it's a trajectory that's not totally um, unfounded. Yes, it's true that no one who has a lead that Donald Trump has uh, comparably to now has gone on to lose the nomination. There's virtually no historical precedent for that. But um, and we're also reaching the point where uh, the 2016 analogy almost no longer stands. Uh, it was by late summer, beginning of August, that Trump began to take over uh, Jeb Bush and polls. There is some precedent. If you go back and look at the 2007 demographic pro- Democratic primary in the lead up to the 2008 election, um, throughout 2007, Hillary Clinton was far ahead in the polls, even of Barack Obama, only after Obama crept up and surprised in the Iowa caucuses. Uh, did he begin to run competitive with Hillary Clinton? So it's a long primary process, and nothing is set in stone. But um, yeah, DeSantis's numbers need to need to start picking up quickly if he's going to viably challenge uh, the former president. And if I remember correctly, the Iowa caucus, and again, I, I know it's an eternity ago, but Donald Trump did not win the Iowa caucus in 2016. No, he didn't. It was a close margin. Um, Ted Cruz came out on top, though. This, uh, you know, 44 percent of voters in Iowa, 38 percent in South Carolina, 50 in New uh, Hampshire said that they may change their mind. Is that consistent with people early on in primaries or is that a higher number than we usually see? You know, it's about average, um, but it's low. It's lower in the early primary states than it is uh, nationally. So in national polls, about half. Well, the, the thing to keep in mind is Trump voters are much more are much less likely to change their mind. Only about one in four to five. Uh, Trump voters tells us that they're likely to change their mind at this point in the process. So the Trump base is somewhat hardened. It's the supporters of all of the other candidates who are way more fluid, um, less likely to commit to any one horse in the race. 
you know, you got to wonder with with you know these numbers in Iowa that uh, that first debate that's coming up, and you know Donald Trump has the big question mark. I mean, does it favor him or does it hurt him to actually appear? Yeah, it's it remains to be seen. Um, you know, whether or not Trump will show up will be a factor. Uh, it will be a solution that he comes to with his own campaign team. And listen, the Trump media folks are are savvy, right? Um, they kind of bullied DeSantis into taking mainstream interviews with places like CNN in the early phases of the race. DeSantis was shunning a lot of those outlets, but, um, you know, Trump's Trump's everywhere all the time and kind of won't turn down an interview um, that that serves to hurt him in the context of some of these legal battles. Um, but the but the president really can't resist um, a fight. And, you know, I'd be surprised if he uh, if he has discipline to sit that debate out. It's just it's just too much fun for him. Now, I want to go back to these findings uh, in a minute, but since we're talking about Donald Trump and the other candidates, uh, you have a piece in City Journal, uh, Minds or Hearts. Donald Trump is winning the hearts of Republican voters, but his challengers may find success in appealing to their minds. What do you mean by that, and when do we have to start seeing that? So in the piece, I kind of look at the DeSantis candidate so far. It reminds me of uh, a race in politics from about 12, 13 years ago. so actually one of my earliest political memories, uh, because it was just so good and it stood out so much. I draw the comparison between Rick Snyder, who ran for governor of Michigan in 2010. Um, he was an awkward, kind of geeky, bookish guy. Um, and he was running against a former congressman, former Senate candidate statewide, the attorney general of the state, way bigger names in politics. This is just a businessman from Ann Arbor. Um, but he buys all his money and puts it toward a Super Bowl ad where he leans aggressively into this identity and kind of calls himself one tough nerd repeatedly. Notes that he's been reading Fortune magazine since age eight, had three degrees, an MBA, a JD, and a BA from the University of Michigan by 23, and has a policy plan so detailed that what he writes is, you know, no politician could ever understand it. It was a simple and direct message. And I, I kind of write, you know, I dig into some of these data we polled not only on the race itself, but on all sorts of these policy questions, right? Um, and the findings suggest that the GOP base is not as monolithic as any one candidate has suggested. And I think, you know, if you look back to what Donald Trump did in 2016, he forged his own path. He's built his own identity. He spoke shibboleths that were sort of unacceptable in mainstream politics, let alone even Republican Party politics at the time. Question the wisdom of the Iraq war, um, Want, you know, went harder on China on the debate stage than any Republican ever had before, um, you know, spoke positions about immigration policy that put him at odds with the party, questioned the wisdom of certain foreign policy uh, decisions. Um, so Trump kind of broke through and spoke to a brand new audience by saying something new. Uh, my suggestion when I go and look at all of this data and where the, where the base is on policy that the only way someone's going to get ahead of Trump now is not by out-Trumping him, but by building their own brand. For Ron DeSantis, that might mean nerdy, leaning into that uh, nerdy, awkward, policy wonkish personality. But you got to be your own man in the race. You know, back um, in, in your findings of these voters in the uh, first three states, uh, you asked the question: Is it more important for Republican candidates to win elections and be in power, even if that means making compromises or moderating their position on certain policies? This seems like it's uh, pretty split between voters. Yeah, it's, it's so that's actually one of the starkest points of contrast um, between Trump voters and DeSantis voters, which I found super interesting. Right. The Trump voters tell us in no uncertain terms that. They think it is more likely 
or rather, Trump voters are more likely to say that it is most important for Republican candidates to stay true to their principles and fight, even if that means losing elections and not being in power. DeSantis backers overwhelmingly tell us that it is more important for Republicans to win elections and be in power, even if that means compromise and moderation. I think that gets at one of the core disputes uh, of the GOP base today. That is bigger. There's a bigger gap on those issues than, you know, questions about Ukraine and foreign policy. You know, like eight or nine out of 10 GOP voters think Vladimir Putin is a war criminal. Okay, so, uh, you know, despite the fact that there are a lot of talking heads that are you know playing up kind of populist battles within the GOP about foreign policy or economic policy, you ask these voters about tax cuts and deregulation or, um, you know, whether they prefer you know, bigger government solutions like onshoring trade or, you know, subsidies, uh, more regulatory policies, they all opt for old school tax cuts and deregulation. So, but this fundamental question, this cuts at, you know, what does it matter? Does the GOP want to lose nobly or does it want to compromise to win? I found that to be so interesting uh, when I read that, when I was reading through um, this article over the weekend, uh, that, the Trump supporters are, hey, it's Trump no matter what, even if it's uh, lose the general election. Um, and you don't see that with the other, uh, especially uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, I think, had the, the biggest uh, difference between uh, his voters. Yeah, yeah. You, so you really dug in. You did a good job on doing your homework. Um, yeah, it was a fundamentally really interesting question. I cut out the electorate in a way that I think is actually more meaningful than some of the policy minutia. But, you know, the results paint a picture of a primary electorate that is, more conservative on some of these newer cultural debates revolving around race and genders than it is on even the perennial social issues that get discussed in these primaries like abortion and gun rights. Um, Those latter issues that have been around for longer and are super well-funded in these states that have lobbyists of their own, they're, they're a bigger part of GOP identity still. But yeah, the data is also suggesting to us that um, the Republican base is more hawkish on some of these foreign policy questions, more market-oriented on economic policy. Like I mentioned, that some of these media accounts focused on these kind of factional disputes often suggest. And immigration, which is a super high priority for Republican primary voters of all stripes, second only to economic concerns, um, say that even with outrage over the illegal border crossings um, happening at the southern point of this country, uh, Republicans kind of stop short and reject total restrictionism. They wish to ease legal immigration for folks that are highly skilled, have you know things like degrees in science, technology, mathematics, um, and 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 if they're going to be financially independent, of course, they don't want immigrants who are going to be uh, highly reliable on our welfare system. Now, I know we're talking GOP primary, but, you know, with all this said and with Trump having the lead, one of our first guests of, uh, of the show was from the No Labels movement. Uh, going into the election, if it is going to be Trump-Biden, still very unpopular. Uh, have you ever seen anything like this uh, in your time covering elections of such an unpopular election, if it does get to that? No, not in my time covering politics. Um yeah, look, it's, it, you know, questions can be raised about the efficacy of the primary system altogether. But I would, ju- you know, because it's so hard to knock out an incumbent president, we essentially have two incumbent presidents running against each other for both of these parties. Um, you know, they, they are held captive in the primary system is such that, uh, you know, uh, voters are going to go and they're going to recognize and by and large, they're going to go with the name they go with. They're, they're going to go with the name they know. They're going to opt for the candidate that um, is most famous, that they recognize, that they know the most about. Um, 
Most people aren't like you and I and your former guests from No Labels. They don't dwell over politics day in and day out and worry about this stuff. For most folks who are, you know, nominally right of center or nominally left of center, um, they'll go with their guy they're aware of, their former guy in the White House. Um, so it's incredibly hard to pick off a former president. Um, you know, the No Labels folks are on a really interesting, unique mission to test the waters and see whether uh, a third presidential candidate could be viable in all 50 states this time around. Um, it'll be interesting to see whether they succeed. But uh, at this point, it doesn't look like we're going to get another option out of either one of the primaries. But, you know, you can never be too sure. That's right. Hey, Jesse, really appreciate the conversation. Appreciate um, all the uh, the data, too. And uh, hoping as we get into the GOP to have you back on. No problem. Happy to do it. Talk to you soon. Take care. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 